Oh, my God. 
five minutes after 6 a.m. Good morning, everybody. My name is Nahum Siegel. Welcome to a Friday. Erev Shabbos. This is your Jewish Moments in the Morning radio program.
Hey, my brother, have you been? I've been thinking of you often Cause I don't know where to be While you're out there battling For the survival of our nation Just know I have you in my heart Always with you, no matter how far Looking towards the day When we'll celebrate me coming home Achim No matter all the miles, Kohim Yad Biyad at the Terech Azor, the Meshek Kolado Rol, Achim Biyachar. 
סוף סוף מדברים, שברנו את השתיקה, מצאנו דרך להסכים. בדיוק כמו הגלים, לא משנה כמה נסחפנו מהחוף, בסוף תמיד אליו חוזרים. כולנו מטרה, שבויים במציאות הזאת של פחד ותקווה. לא מפסיקים לחפש את האור בקצה המנהרה, גם כשנפלנו נשארה האמונה. גיבורים בצבע זית אומרים שלום נפרדים מהבית 
to think a news report was mostly right but sometimes wrong now it seems that all has gone around a buzzing phone another alert countless updates more information it's hard to know what's real or what's reliable Where are we to go to find the truth? Who can tell us how things are without a biased view?
The schools were closed for everyone. Just open up, our kids are safe. Perhaps they don't know why we come to land. Echaste Hashem, we're let back in. Camp has started, but things are so different. How long can we succeed with this new plan? Weren't these the issues of the past? Haven't we arrived at shores, a safe haven at last? Our sacred rights can all be taken, all be gone. Don't take for granted what we thought we had. Just like that, a nation's strength, the things we thought were guaranteed. Now we see the nature of it all. Just hope this feeling doesn't pass With open hands and open hearts Help us continue our task
זיכרון, חיסרון, תחושות כבדות. רצון להשלים, רצון להבין את האור לראות. מי אני ומה אני, היכן אתה? זה סוגר עליי, ומה איתך? Thank <laughs> you. 
בחושך הזה יהפוך לאור. סירה קטנה ומים סוערים תמצא לחוף, עוצם עיניים ומחזיק חזק. עד שיחלוף, כי אני יודע בכל זאת אתה איתי, אני לא לבד כאן, לא לבד כאן.
Thank <laughs> you.
כבר לא מבדילים בין שמאל לימין, שחור לבן. רק תראה אותנו עכשיו, כבר לא אותו המצב. מצאנו את הלב מתוך הכאב, צמחה JM in the AM, Lomif Achei, done by uh, Asaf Harush. What a song. Simcha Liner before that with Kiata. I'm Yisrael Chai, done by Akiva. You heard Tuvi Eichler and Yehei Rava. Lachzik Chazak, was was that also Akiva? One second, now I'm more confused. Lachzik Chazak was Akiva. Oh, Aviyad was I'm Yisrael Chai, I apologize. Aviyad was I'm Yisrael Chai. Let me make that edit on our playlist. Um, there we go. Consider it fixed. <laughs> Akiva had Lahachzik uh, Chazak. Moshe Emes done by Chaim Moshe Rechnitz. Chaim Zippel with Am Hanetzach. Achim Biyachad, that's Aryeh Kunzler and Shlomo Lippmann. A song that already has made quite an impression. Mordechai ben David with Proke and Uvyoma Shabbos. And of course, that's, uh, you know, the classics. And of course, Regesh Modani opening things up. And we say good morning. Welcome to a Friday on this Friday on this February the 2nd, day 23 in the month of Shvat. The year is 5784. Tufshin Pei Gimel. Candlelighting time on this Erev Shabbos Parshas Yisro is 454. 454 is candlelighting time. We will bench Rosh Chodesh 
tomorrow. We will bench Rosh Chodesh tomorrow. Rosh Chodesh Adar Aleph will be Friday and Shabbos. Rosh Chodesh Adar Aleph will be Friday and Shabbos. I'm just looking to see. When do we get to... Um, oh, Parsha Shkolem. Parsha Shkolem is going to be uh, Vayakhel, March 9th. Okay. So we got we got a while before we get to the Dalit Parshas. Anyway, Erev Shabbos Parshas Yisro. Again, candle lighting time at 4.54 in New York. Make sure you know when things start where you are. We'll bench Rosh Chodesh tomorrow. Rosh Chodesh Adar Aleph will be Friday and Shabbos next week. Friday and Shabbos next week will be um, Rosh Chodesh Adar Aleph. Um, yeah. Friday and Shabbos next week. Wow, pretty cool. Want to wish a Mazal Tov to Mayor Simcha Siegel. My wonderful nephew is celebrating his Ufruf this Shabbos and to the Siegel family on Staten Island and beyond. Uh, we say Mazal Tov from all of us here at JM in the AM. Wonderful Simcha with Mayor Simcha at the center of it. And again, Mazal Tov from all of us here at JM in the AM. Just trying to see what else we have here. Um, yeah, not everything's getting earlier. Sunrise is getting earlier. Everything seems to be getting earlier. Friday morning, Erev Shabbos, Malcolm Honeline expected with our weekly update coming up. Hour number two this morning here at JM in the AM. Uh, Harry Rothenberg and Rabbi Yudin, of course, with Parshas Yisro and uh, plenty more on a Friday Erev Shabbos. After all, that's what we're all about. We're all about amazing programming, important news updates, and all of that is coming up this morning right here at JM in the AM. I want to thank those who've responded to our uh, 40th anniversary campaign. We've been sending out emails, and some very, very generous people have been responding over the last couple of days, and I thank you. Join our 40th anniversary campaign, which ends a week from today, by going to fjbunity.org. Again, that's fjbunity.org, and we thank you. We thank you for the consideration. We thank you for the generosity. We thank you for the faith that you have in us to keep on going every single day with amazing programming. Much appreciated. Uh, a week from Sunday is Kosher Halftime Show number 11. Believe it or not, it's the 11th kosher halftime show and this time it's going to be a very serious one i have given everybody fair warning i've given everybody fair warning that this is going to be a very serious kosher halftime show there'll be some music because we'll have we'll have videos etc but with a war going on in israel we felt this has got to be a uh, much different kosher halftime show with some inspiring messages some important reminders yeah we'll be in the middle of a game here on this side of the world and it's no game for the uh, members of the IDF. It's no game for the families of the hostages. It's certainly no game for the hostages themselves. We think about constantly. Uh, Kosher Halftime Show is brought to you by the uh, Rothenberg Law Firm. Injurylawyer.com. We thank them very, very much. They've always taken their role uh, in sponsoring the not just the actual show, but the message that while the rest of the country 
is enjoying the regular halftime show, there has to be an alternative. There has to be something for our community where where we recognize that the other one is simply not for us. So that's the that that is the message, and they've always gotten that. So a big thank you to the Rothenbergs InjuryLawyer.com for their consideration. We'll speak with um, a member of their family next week, please God. Seth Levitt's going to join us next week. After all, you can't sit down to any type of Super Bowl gathering without delicious A and H hot dogs, knockwurst, and uh, salami. I don't I don't even see how it's possible. How is it possible? To have a Super Bowl gathering for a kosher crowd of family and friends and not be serving A&H. This doesn't make sense to me. Anyway, Seth will join us at some point next week as well. And plenty more. After all, it is a, um, it is a Super Bowl week, so we'll get to as much as we can next week right here at JM in the AM. All right, Friday morning, Erev Shabbos, brand new. This Achenu is from Shalom and Tani Polanski. You're listening to JM in the AM. Hey 
come so far And everybody And everybody Has come so far We've drove miles And we flew Over oceans And everybody And everybody Has come so far We've come so far So far So far So far So far J.M. and the A.M. Shalom and the Tani Polanski with the uh, Achenu selection. Brand new here at J.M. in the A.M. Feel free to comment on the app. Go to the NSN, Nachum Single Network app for Android and iPhone and comment away. Our friends from the Kitchen Click sounds like they're listening from Jerusalem. Boker Tov Mi Yerushalayim Yerakodesh Shabbat Shalom. All right, guys. Thank you for checking in from the Holy City. Much appreciated. It's America's one and only Jewish Moments in the Morning Radio program. Heard. <coughs> on listeners-sponsored digital radio. Around the world, the web at NachumSiegel.com and the NachumSiegel Network, and of course, on the beloved NSN app. Galit Zahel in the background. We'll do our news from Israel coming up. Malcolm Honline at 7.40 a.m. Eastern Time. Analyze the news with our weekly update that's coming up. What else did I want to mention to everybody? Harry Rothenberg coming up. Rabbi Yudin coming up. Rabbi Sturm from Renewal is going to be with us in hour number three. We're going to talk about the event going on in Teaneck this coming weekend, or this weekend, I should say. And plenty more on a Friday morning era of Shabbos here at JM and the AM. Galitzal, Israel Army Radio, 2 p.m. newscast next. Boker Tov from JM and the AM. Galitzal, Shashtaim. Shalom Rav, Baulpan, Yonatan Modilevsky, in Mashakore Akshav. היום המאה ותשעה עשר למלחמה, צהל עצר כשלושת אלפים מבוקשים ביהודה ושומרון מאז שבעה באוקטובר, כך עולה מנתונים שפרסם דובר צהל. ובהזעה מאה אלף שקל במזומן נמצאו בחשפות השייכות לחמאס במרכז הרצועה, לצד מסמכים המעידים על שיטת העברות הכספים של הארגון. במקביל נמשכת הלחימה בחאן יונס, וביממה האחרונה נהרגו יותר מ-20 מחבלים במערב העיר. ידיעה שמסר כתבנו לענייני צבא וביטחון, דורון קדוש. 
דיווח באיראן. יועץ של משמרות המהפכה נהרג בתקיפה הישראלית לפנות בוקר סמוך לדמשק, כך על פי כלי תקשורת איראני חצי רשמי. מוקדם יותר אמר נשיא איראן אברהים רייסי כי מדינתו לא תפתח במלחמה, אבל תגיב בעוצמה מול כל אחד שינהג כלפיה בבריונות. כתבת חדשות החוץ איה אילון מציינת כי דבריו של רייסי נאמרו לאחר שגורמים אמריקניים אישרו את כוונת ארצות הברית לתקוף מטרות איראניות בסוריה ובעיראק, המשמשות את משמרות המהפכה לפעילות טרור ברחבי המזרח התיכון. כ-200 בני אדם התכנסו בכיכר החטופים בתל אביב כדי לציין את יום הולדתו ה-39 של טל שוהם, שמוחזק בשבי חמאס ואשתו וילדיו שוחררו. אמו ניצה קראה לבנה, תחזיק מעמד, אדיב הילדים בסדר. טלטלונים חמוד שלנו, אנחנו כולנו מבקשים שתחזיק עוד קצת מעמד, תהיה חזק, אנחנו נעשה הכל עד שתגיע. המשפחה, עדי והילדים בסדר, כמה שאפשר, הם מחכים לך. כל ערב אנחנו מדליקים נרות ומתפללים לשובך. קלטלוני, אני שולחת לך חיבוק ענק ונשיקות. אני מחכה לך פה. כתבתנו יובל מילר מציינת כי בכיכר נכחה משפחת אביגדורי, חן ושרון בנועם שחזרו משבי חמאס. במקביל להתקיים יום אימוץ כלבים שארגנה עמותת SOS למען חזרתו של טל וכל החטופים. חצי מהאוכלוסייה הבוגרת בארצות הברית מאמינה שהפעולה הצבאית של ישראל בעזה הלכה רחוק מדי, כך על פי סקר שערכה סוכנות הידיעות AP. מהנתונים עולה כי מקור הירידה בתמיכה בישראל לעומת סקרים קודמים, הוא בעיקר מצביעי המפלגה הרפובליקנית. עוד על פי הסקר, 31% מהמשיבים סבורים כי הנשיא ביידן מתמודד עם המלחמה בצורה טובה. בקרב תומכי המפלגה הדמוקרטית, 46% מרוצים מהתנהלותו של ביידן. המשטרה בשוודיה הודיעה שפתחה בחקירת התקרית באותר רימון מחוץ לשגרירות ישראל בסטוקהולם שלשום. כיוון החקירה המרכזי שנבדק הוא פשע טרור. שגריר ישראל בשוודיה כינה באותו יום את האירוע ניסיון פיגוע והודה לרשויות השוודיות על תגובתן המהירה. ומזג האוויר קר מהרגיל לעונה. גם היום צפויים גשמים מקומיים מלווים סופות רעמים בעיקר במרכז הארץ ובדרומה. ייתכנו שיטפונות בנחלי הדרום והמזרח, חשש להצפות במישור החוף הצפוני. אלה החדשות שערך עמית קלדרון.
you'll hear your children sing. Shabbat shalom. It means so many things, like iman. My soul to sing, make my soul to sing. Shabbat shalom. It's nice to be at home. Shabbat shalom. It's nice. To be at home. Kim 
Shabbos medley here on a Friday morning era of Shabbos. Diaspora before that with the uh, Shabbat Shalom selection here at JM in the AM. My thanks to those who've been supporting our 40th anniversary campaign. There's another week to go. If you haven't given yet, go to fjbunity.org, fjbunity.org. My thanks to the Rothenberg Law Firm, InjuryLawyer.com, sponsoring and presenting again our Kosher Halftime Show, which this year, a week from Sunday, is going to be much more serious than usual, frankly, because there is a war after all in Israel, you may have heard. So we will, um, we will be um, uh, presenting that at halftime. February the 11th, or just before halftime, is it's, it'll, it'll be made available um, at NahumSiegel.com. Harry Rothenberg has words regarding Parshas Yisro, and his words are in honor of a, a complete refuah shlema for our dear friend, Ruchama Chana Etel Bas Chava. Ruchama Chana Etel Bas Chava. Harry Rothenberg, Parsha's Yisro, JM in the AM. A close friend of mine is in Israel, so he sent me a picture of a street sign that he thought I would like. Here it is, Harry Street. Now he wrote to me and said, I don't think that's really what they meant. If you look carefully at the Hebrew, it should be Ha-Ari Street. Presumably the street was named after the great sage, the Arizal. And when they translated it, they spelled it H-A-R-R-Y. 
Harry. I wrote back to him and said, no, I disagree. That says Harry Street. It's, it's incontrovertible. That's what it's called. And I said, and besides, I'm certain that the Ariza would not want the honor. He wouldn't want the covet of having a street named after him. So I'm willing to take one for the team. I say that jokingly, of course. But how do I know that the Arizal certainly would not have wanted the honor? Because the sages tell us that you're supposed to run away from, not towards honor. And we see a great example of that in this week's Parsha. Moshe's father-in-law Yisro comes back to greet him after the Exodus. And he brings along Moshe's wife, Yisro's daughter, Zipporah, and Moshe's sons. There's a beautiful family reunion. And then we're told that Yisro sits down to a meal with Moshe's brother Aharon and with the elders. But Rashi, when discussing this passage, asks the obvious question, where's Moshe? Why isn't he listed? And Rashi explains, Moshe was the waiter. He was serving the meal. The best analogy I could possibly come up with, and it's still not a good enough one, would be if you sat down at a restaurant and a woman walked up to you and said, hi, I'm Liz. I'm gonna be your waitress this evening. Would you like to start off with the bottled or sparkling or tap water? And you took a look at Liz and realized, wait a minute, that's not Liz. That's Queen Elizabeth as my waitress. You'd be looking all around like, where are the cameras? Obviously, this is some kind of crazy prank. But this wasn't a prank. Moshe himself, forget Queen Elizabeth, with all due respect to her, this was Moshe, the fellow who spoke face to face to God, who took the Jews out of Egypt, who was soon going to go up on the mountain and receive the Torah from God. Moshe was the waiter for a meal, taking orders. This was one of the way stations during his career arc before he became the person that the Torah is eventually going to describe as the un of Mikal Adam, the most humble person in the world. And yet, humility is still not enough. Because you have to be very careful that your humility is always only used as a shield to protect you from ego, from getting too big for your own britches, not as a sword to make others feel bad. What do I mean? A number of years ago, I was at an event. And there was a very, very well-known rabbi there, along with his wife. At the end of the event, when it came time to leave, the rabbi helped his wife get into her coat, stood behind her and held it so she could put one arm in and then the other arm. And there was a pretty well-known photographer there and he saw this and grabbed his camera and took a picture. And the rabbi's wife, the Rebbitson, saw him, recognized this photographer and said to him, you cannot send that picture out to anyone. He said, why not? It's such a beautiful picture of your husband and the great rabbi helping you out with your coat. And she said, I'll tell you why not. Because other women, other wives may see that picture and they may show it to their husbands and they may say, why don't you help me with my coat? Look at the great rabbi so-and-so. He helps his wife. You're more important than him. And I don't want those husbands to feel bad. I don't want to create any marital strife. So it's not enough to be humble. We also have to be exquisitely sensitive to the feelings of others. Just 
Two candles glow The silent hopes and whispered prayers Echoing painfully The dream in their hearts yet to grow Imagined it so many times Their dream is a cane A family of their own Offered every tear they have Done all there is to do But they know they're not in this alone I know that it's hard to keep waiting So I'll be here with you Holding your hand And together our cries is Arcani Our tears will be empty we languish in gallows with only our faith aglow our silent hopes and whispered prayers echoing painfully the dream in our hearts yet to grow imagine it so many times Arachamon who is a king For that day, a home of our own Offered every tear we have done all there is to do But we know we're not in this alone I know that it's hard to keep waiting So I'll be
Pecho is the fate of all mankind. No one can avoid the bustle and the grind. Rushing to meetings, closing the deal. On the phone, on the road, buying, selling, spinning wheels. It's easy to lose balance, chasing money and success. But there's a special treasure with which we have been blessed. And as each day passes, joy fills the air. Waiting for the moment to stand up and declare. Baruch Hashem, For six days every week We work hard and struggle Just to make ends meet But once out of seven We all become kings Who greet Shabbos Amalco By rising up to sing As we learn When I hear the boss, I jump To shop or go to shul I'm always parking by a pump But all of the worry Goes down the drain When my wife and children join me In singing the refrain
the above, we get to bond with those we love. And there's one more plus. Our parents spend more time with us. Baruch Hashem, it's Shabbat. Baruch Hashem, it's Shabbat. Shabbat Shalom. Good Shabbat.
J.M. and the A.M. and Moshe Klein, Bowie Kala is the name of that selection here on a Friday morning, Erev Shabbos. It's Erev Shabbos Parshas Yisro with candle lighting time in New York, 4.54. Make sure you know when things start where you are. 4.54 in New York. We'll bench Rosh Chodesh tomorrow. Rosh Chodesh Adar Aleph will be Friday and Shabbos. Rosh Chodesh Adar Aleph will be Friday and Shabbos. So Rosh Chodesh will begin Thursday night, and we'll have a two-day Rosh Chodesh Friday and Shabbos next week. Tomorrow, tonight, regular Shabbos, Shabbos Mavarchim. <laughs> On this era of Shabbos Parshas Yisrael, feel free. Oh, before that, the before the Moshe Klein selection, we had the Journeys with Baruch Hashem at Shabbos and Vizakeni done by uh, Benny Friedman. Feel free to comment on the app. We go to the app, and uh, Love Yerushalayim says, Good morning, Nachum. Always look forward to Fridays. My chance to listen while I prepare for Shabbos. Thank you. I appreciate that very much. Listener Daniel has checked in from AJA Carpool number 204 down in Georgia. And he says, Good morning and good Shabbos from AJA Carpool 204 and our new bat mitzvah girl, Atara. Mazal tov, Atara. From all of us here at... JM in the AM. All right. Keep the smachot coming. Malcolm Holmline coming up, or by Uden coming up, or by uh, Sturm of Renewal is coming up. There's a Bergen County event happening on Sunday. We'll discuss that. If you're in the Teaneck area Sunday morning, use the opportunity to get swabbed. You might actually be a match down the road for someone in need of a kidney, which is pretty amazing, frankly, for those for whom... Uh, for whom that happens. Um, so we'll discuss that before the end of the show this morning. Mark Zamek with the Kedem presentation of the Erev Shabbos show coming up at 10 a.m. Eastern time. Erev Shabbos music mix brought to you by Kedem all day long. Final hour beginning at about 4 p.m. Brought to you by Kedem tomorrow night at Saturday Night Seagull with Avrami and Rabbi Eliezer Zwickler. That's going to be at, uh, at um, 9 p.m. Saturday night for Saturday Night Seagull. And then Sunday, Matis with JM Sunday, he's amazing, starts at 7 o'clock in the morning, 7 until 9, Matis with JM Sunday live right here on NSN. Really cool. More coming up, it's JM in the AM. i 
The classic from Regesh, of course, an amazing classic that's called Shalom Aleichem. Solomon Brothers with Home. Moshe Klein had Bowie Kala before that here at JM. They have Arab Shabbos Parshas Yisro. Candle lighting in New York, 454. Again, 454 candle lighting in New York. Make sure you know when things start where you are. Um, we will bench Rosh Chodesh tomorrow. Rosh Chodesh Adar Aleph will be Friday and Shabbos next week. It'll begin Thursday night, a two-day Rosh Chodesh Adar Aleph, Friday and Shabbos. Um, yeah, so that's the story. We have an additional month of Adar this year, and it'll all begin next weekend. So Shabbos Mavarachim this week, Parshas Yisro, and again, 454 candlelit in time. Make sure you know when things start where you are. I want to thank those who've been supporting our 40th anniversary campaign, which finally comes to an end next week. Um, those of you who have not yet participated, please do. Keep JM and the AM and the Nachum Siegel Network going for yet another year. After 40 glorious years, Baruch Hashem, B'li'ayin Hara. Go to fjbunity.org. Again, go to fjbunity.org, and we thank you. Don't forget our friends at jewishworldreview.com. If you're looking for thousands of articles about Israel and the Jewish world to print out before Shabbos and get up to date on what's happening in this amazing world of ours, go to jewishworldreview.com. That's what they have, an incredible collection of articles and information. jewishworldreview.com. Go and enjoy. Malcolm Holmline, um, Conference of Presidents of Major American Jewish Organizations with us live via telephone on this Friday morning era of Shabbos. Mr. Holmline, welcome back to JM in the AM. Thank you, Nahum. Good to be with you. Appreciate that. Yeah, I thank you for that. And, um, you know, I don't don't know where to begin the outrage. (laughs) Frankly, if you would have been with us uh, last week, I, I think you know where the outrage would have begun. And, well, you know what? Why not start there? We'll begin the outrage this week the way we would have begun it last week, and that is with the report that UNRWA employees um, from the United Nations uh, were actually complicit with the enemy in attacking and um, terrorizing um, Israelis on October the 7th. Your reaction to this very, very disturbing news story? Truly disturbing, but not surprising. And those who have been regular listeners over the years know that we have discussed this. We talked about not only UNRWA, UN agencies, but particularly the misuse of funds and the um, activities of the of employees uh, of UNRWA and other UN agencies, plus the use of their facilities to store weapons. This goes back many years already. There's a long history, and we've had investigation after investigation, supposedly, uh, of this by the United Nations. Uh, Israel has documented this repeatedly. Now you have this very blatant demonstration, not only the participation in the outrages of October 7th by members of the staff of the of UNRWA, but 3,000 UNRWA employees, teachers, uh, signed an, uh, uh, an online declaration celebrating October 7th. I mean, there's just one item after another. You've seen how the UNRWA facilities have been storage houses for weapons, how tunnels have come up in them, how they've given cover 
to the terrorist activities of Hamas and, and Pidge and others. So all of this has been well documented. And already you have people demanding that we reopen the funding, that we res- all of the money for America alone. It's over $300 million dollars. And it all together over 500 million and close to a billion dollars have gone to help finance the activities. And even the aid, uh, all of this stuff that goes in, half of it gets cut off. Even now goes to the terrorists. Uh, I, I know that the head of the Shin Bet said it's 60% of the aid trucks entering Gaza end up in the hands of Hamas. And their leadership all along would take what they wanted off the top and sell them to the people and charge them for it. So the corruption of these agencies, the, the their inappropriate activities, the blind eye that you had turned to it, all of this has been well documented and it's t- taken a very heavy toll on, uh, on Israel and the security situation. Uh, the number of countries that have frozen their funding in addition to the United States, is is quite long, and uh, meaning uh, froze their funding to UNRWA. And I'm wondering what the entire United States contribution to the United Nations is. In other words, is this $300, $400 million specifically for, for this part of the agency that's supposed to be doing what they're supposedly supposed to be doing in Gaza, in the Middle East? That, that's, just, that's just one p- little piece of what the United States does in terms of funding the entire United Nations. Am I right about that? Absolutely. This money where we're talking about is only money to UNRWA. And remember, the UN has other specific agencies only servicing and providing aid to, to Palestinians and two propaganda committees for which millions of dollars have been set aside. And as you know, we've talked about it the, the, uh, in the past year that they set up yet an additional committee with unlimited funding, unlimited mandate, unlimited timing to do nothing but to prosecute Israel and the... Uh, Palestinians are the most, as they call them, pampered people in the world. They receive more aid per capita than anybody else. Think of all of these hundreds of millions of dollars annually that went in, that was used, and the, and the funds, uh, this is just in the case of UNRWA, right. but the many billions, billions that came in every year, including a lot from the United States in addition to the 330 or $40 million we give to UNRWA, that went into 500 miles of underground tunnels, which is so hard to believe. I mean, about a third or or less than that, uh, probably 20% has been destroyed because it's such an intricate network and are flooding some of the tunnels. They've blown up a a lot of the tunnels. You know, many are booby-trapped. It's very difficult, but you look complicated and sophisticated. Underneath the cemetery this week, they found... uh, had sleeping quarters and, you know, all sorts of uh, computer rooms and facilities for the leadership of Hamas uh, to operate from. So in the United States provides between a quarter and 35 of of the budget of the UN in total. President Trump had cut off the UNRWA funding and it was restored when the Biden administration uh, you know, it is you when it's portrayed as humanitarian aid, when in fact it is feeding the terrorist monster. 
Do you think, and I heard the stats that you just gave, but in general, does Israel think it's already discovered the majority of the tunnel network, or are they suspecting that they've only, you know, scratched the surface, so to speak? Like, do we have any idea what percentage of the total tunnel network has already been uncovered by Israel? Well, I think that they've mapped, they've gotten a lot of intelligence, uh, which tells them basically where it is. It doesn't mean that they've gone into all those sites. Each one has to be checked. As I told you, they, they are booby-trapped. They are There are explosives in there. They found unlimited quantities of weapons, which they can't even take back. They have to destroy it uh, because, um, you know, it's specific ammunition for the, for the guns used by uh, Hamas and for the rockets. But every day they're uncovering new places, some of them with primed rockets ready to shoot and Thank God they, they prevented many of them, and many of them continue to get fired. Then, uh, as we saw last in in the last week, uh, that they can still mount uh, ten rockets, fifteen rockets, but clearly their ability has been severely uh, limited. But the the message when from the north of Gaza they could fire on Israel, and that there are still a couple thousand terrorists, even though essentially we said we've cleansed it, shows that you can't leave any remnant behind. We learned this lesson from Jewish history when certain people had compassion and left part of the enemy alive only to pay the price in later generations. Well, if we if they don't do it completely, and that's why they're going to have to go back in the north and take care of the thousands that uh, of Hamas operatives that remain. And there are many, you know, even if they took care of 20,000, which would be a lot, 10,000 killed, 10,000 wounded, that there still are 10,000 members of Hamas because the estimate was they had 30,000 members. And you have Palestinian Islamic Jihad and others. So this is far from over. There's a, a lot more that has to be done. It's more than mopping up operations. And unless you clean it out completely, it's only going to come back. This cancer will metastasize once again. In his most recent statements about this, it sounds like the prime minister wants to do what you just described. I hope he doesn't take his foot off the gas, frankly, but it looks like that this, what you just described, sounds like what he calls complete victory. Well, uh, uh, complete victory would be hard to define, honestly. Uh, I think that has to be the goal. You see every Arab leader that I know says the same thing. Decimate them completely. You cannot leave anything behind. We did that in Lebanon, and you ended up with a worse situation when if you don't eradicate all of the leadership, all of the things, it doesn't mean the civilians. We're talking about all of those who have an affiliation with the terrorist organizations. Uh, and you see that they can still assert themselves. We have snipers who have taken lives of, of these most amazing fighting people from the IDF. And look at their faces, look at their bios. Each one of them is a world lost and amazing people. Uh, but if we don't, if we, these people have been indoctrinated, they've been uh, brainwashed, those who have brains, and they have been, uh, they will revert if uh, if they're not eliminated. And nobody wants, likes to talk about, you know, killing people, human beings, but these are, are showed what they really are on October 7th and continue to, to do so, uh, to demonstrate what they really are. These are inhumane. Uh, actors who who have no uh, no limitations to the barbarity in which they will engage, and so the, Israel has to be given the time. Uh, although I think we are 
likely to see uh, a ceasefire. The conditions are are what's important, and whether the the demand that this be the end to the war and the pressures that are building on Israel, even from our allies. Uh, is very disturbing. The uh, number that's uh, been used this week in terms of hostages is 136. And uh, the reports I saw conjecture, I'm not sure what they base this on, but I'm sure there's some reliable information uh, that at least 100 of them are alive. That's the conjecture. Obviously, we don't know definitively what the story is. Uh, Israel now is awaiting, according to the headlines, awaiting a decision by Hamas regarding uh, a hostage deal, which, you know, it's outrageous to even read a headline like that, frankly, that Israel would not be in the driver's seat, so to speak, the only country that, you know, operates from behind when they're winning a war. Um, and I'm not blaming them for that, by the way. I'm, I'm, I'm blaming the international community for that. But anyway, um, what is the latest? Is there going to be a deal? Is the enemy going to agree to it? And how many hostages do you think will be included? So... The, the, that is all being negotiated. That it'll, it'll probably be a phased deal again, where you know Israel will be demanded to release uh, people. And Netanyahu made clear that he's not going to release six thousand. They wanted every Palestinian prisoner released from from the jails, which you know already constitutes a new army that will act against Israel and engage in the terrorism that that unfortunately still continues and. Israel's preemptive actions in Yudin Shamron, the West Bank, have, have prevented that from being another front yeah. uh, at, at, to the degree that, that uh, they had planned and the destruction of a lot of their facilities. Could, people just read it. I don't think they take into account what the significance is of the factories and the manufacturing and the seizure of weapons and the rest of individual terrorists uh, from there prevented them from mounting what was supposed to be another front against uh, Israel. So you would have had Lebanon, the Iran Shomron, and uh, and Gaza simultaneous together with the Houthis and the Iranian militias in Syria and Iraq. I've talked for a long time here about the ring around Israel that Iran has successfully implemented. I think it can be destroyed. I think now the United States actions are very critical. Uh, we would all like to see them already do something about the um, defense of the uh, and to the retribution for the deadly attack on American soldiers in in Jordan, um, but clearly all of all the fingers point to, to Iran. But to to specifically on the deal, uh, obviously I don't know the details. Uh, I'm not sure. I, I've heard so many different versions of it. I'm not sure that anybody really knows today all the conditions. But they would. I think the Israelis need this um, uh, hiatus, brief hiatus. They want to bring people back to work. They want to be able to uh, regroup and also to be able to shift a lot of resources to the north uh, because of the escalation there. Um, so, what what the true nature will be, uh, whether it's a month, two months, three months, the international community will press for a permanent ceasefire. And, of course, they will go in, the media will go in, and they'll start showing pictures and saying it's a devastation, et cetera, et cetera. When, in fact, if the same report on other areas of Gaza, you'd see them life functioning and, and continuing. Yeah, and don't forget the city of Chicago is also demanding a ceasefire. And I think Pal- that's, that, that's, that scares their mind. And, and, Palo, and Palo Alto is not demanding a ceasefire. They just deny that anything ever happened on October the 7th, <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> which, is, <coughs> which is so outrageous. 
don't you agree that and to conjecture like this is ridiculous i get it but if there are 136 hostages and a deal's made i don't know for a, a number of them 50 so, you know choose whatever number you want don't you think that that that's going to negatively affect israeli morale uh or or not like the last time when you know a hostage deal goes through it does give a boost so to speak to the the fact that there's hope and the fact that uh, you know there's potential for everybody to get home eventually so you're you're raising the most uh, significant dilemma everybody israelis value life they they make immense sacrifices you see how soldiers went back, got killed because they went back to rescue a colleague who was shot or killed even to rescue the bodies because we know what Hamas does even to the dead uh, and has desecrate everything and every standard. Um, so, the, but the people overwhelmingly, and I think everybody wants to see the return of the hostages and sees it as a top priority and for the families who have been conducting this campaign now for what 110, 115 days. I mean, it's just, it's heartbreaking. Uh, we meet them here all the time and, and, and in Israel, it, it just, each time anew, it just tears your heart out to see the suffering, not knowing is sometimes worse. And if they would at least have the, some finality, some closure uh, to it, uh, so I, for Israel, this is a priority, getting back the hostages. I think they're willing to pay a price for that. Uh, but uh, Hamas knows that once all the uh, prisoners and all the hostages are back, then they have a free hand in resuming the war and doing the things that they couldn't do because they never knew where the tunnel, where, where in the tunnels they were hidden or where they might be, uh, you know, it might kill uh, hostages in the process and they, their intelligence has been very good. They collected so much material and when you ask about the rest of the before about the activities, you know, they have so much that they got from the computer centers from the information of guys that they captured and they've caught a lot um, who give information and tell about the hostages and so it's not all estimates or guesstimates it's sometimes based upon uh, observation by the uh, people who are involved themselves. Yeah. So we have to um, we have to put ourselves though in the shoe that if you choose of the people who have to decide, and when you see the families and when you know when you feel your you know the heart rendering uh, uh, pain about the hostages, and you know you look at the longer term interests of Israel, it's it's such a tough decision. People should be much more sensitive to what the leaders of Israel have to go through. It's, it's heart rendering. Yeah. And there are other, and there are other Hezbollahs, including the fact that being, having time like this to regroup for Israel would be important too. Right. And, and one other thing you've said in this conversation, which I never considered as strongly as the way you put it, is that uh, a ceasefire agreement could have the potential uh, to avoid war on other fronts. And, you know, that's obviously very, very important to the future of Israel and uh, needs to be part of the Hezbun, as you described it. It's America's one and only Jewish moments in the morning radio program, heard on listeners-sponsored digital radio. Around the world, the web at NachumSigl.com on the NachumSigl Network, and, of course, on the beloved NSN app. Malcolm Honline, Conference of Presidents of Major American Jewish Organizations. As you said earlier, three U.S. troops were killed and dozen, dozens injured. 
in this drone attack in Jordan. Are you disappointed by the American response or the lack of an American response? Well, frankly, we don't know yet because we keep being told that the response is coming and maybe it's being planned. In the meantime, we know that uh, Iran has moved troops out of uh, Syria, to taking them out of harm's way. About They don't believe that the United States will hit Iran directly, but they'll hit their proxies in Jordan and in Syria and Iraq, rather, and um, those who were, were directly involved, although it could be that these, these drones can be launched from anywhere. And we saw Iran for that short period uh, doing direct hits, including against Pakistan, for which they got a, a strong retaliation. Look, it's the only answer is that you've got to show them that the price and to, to attack the United States, to attack our allies, is going to be very high. And the price has to be paid by the leaders of Iran, by the by direct hits, by by a response that is not just hitting empty buildings or warehouses, but one that really takes a toll. We should be blowing up the, the uh, oil fields. We should make sure that the uh, shipping shipment of oil has to stop. They're getting a billion dollars every eight to ten days. They continue to provide weapons. They continue to provide funding. This uh, the, They make the money from the... Um, shipments that Russia sends through through Iran of oil. Uh, and I think that there has to be, and the people of Iran would support uh, very strong measures, even if it means economic tolls on them, but they want to see a strong response. They would like to see this regime toppled. They've demonstrated in many ways, people we speak to and hear from, look at the executions that are continuing, no outcry in the world. The, the devastating treatment of women, all of these things go unanswered, and they interpret it in that way. Iran is facing an election. You see already how the, the Guardian Council refused Rouhani, the former president, uh, membership in the Council of Experts, which is a precondition to being a candidate. You have to be an Ayatollah to, to be able to run for president. And, of course, the election outcome could have an impact on whose next supreme leader will be. That's a, so this, what you just um, said before is a good role for UNRWA. They should be sent to Iran to defend women's rights there. That would be good. That would be uh, very effective, no? Uh, yeah, but especially when you appoint Iran to the UN Commission on Women, when you put Iran in charge of a disarmament uh, committee, when you, I mean, it makes them a bigger mockery of the UN than any comedian could make. They make it of themselves. Did you it, see that? Is, did you see that UN it, report this week that Iran has slowed down its production of enriched uranium? Yeah. So the the fact is they don't need to enrich uranium, even if it's true, if assuming it's true, because they have enough, and they haven't. They have the the wherewithal, the the centrifuges in place, advanced centrifuges that they can produce the enriched uranium in a matter of days and most weeks. Uh, they they have stockpiles way beyond what the law allows them, what the UN res uh, resolutions uh, allow them. You saw that this week alone, this past week, they launched three satellites. And these are tiny little satellites they put in, but they're, they're not significant. What's significant for Iran is the launching of the missiles. They're testing the ballistic missiles, which they're not allowed to do under the agreements, but they do it in the guise of, you know, a scientific experiment to put the uh, weather, you know, satellites, uh, any other facetious term that come for, for what they're launching, but they're really just advancing their ballistic missile capacity and this is the way that they can uh, test it. 
so we see the weaponization going ahead. They have enough enriched uranium. They just haven't completed the weaponization part where you affix the enriched uranium into a weapon that can be launched. But the danger, and by every estimate that I've seen and people I've spoken to, uh, they've advanced constantly on their capacity. They're developing new weapons and new weapon systems, uh, aggressive systems that, uh, and, and people scoffed about the drones. Look at what the, the Houthis have done with the Iranian drones, uh, even attacking American military uh, naval ships in the, in the Red Sea, let alone all the civilian shipping, raising the price of goods for Europe, America, and around the world. You know, we don't realize and think about the leverage that they have then. You know, sometimes you just have to stop at, and, and say to yourself, look what Israel is surrounded by. How miraculous is it that they're still around, that we're still around? It's unbelievable. I mean, the and, and that all the countries in the region are praying for Israel to finish it, to do what, what they is, don't do. But what do. does all mean? If, if there's 23 Arab countries and plenty of rogue groups that you just mentioned, aren't a significant number of them hoping for the destruction of Israel or not? There are two different agendas. I don't think that, uh, that many of them want to see Israel destroyed because Israel for them is the safeguard. If you ask, I'm telling you, Saudi Arabia, the UAE, the Bahrain, the Morocco, other countries, even some not so friendly to Israel, they all want to see Hamas destroyed because Egypt, of Hamas e emerges. What would, what would Egypt say? Uh, for sure wants to see Hamas destroyed, and but they, they don't want to pay the price for it. They don't want to be implicated. They're afraid of what happens both domestically in their own countries, and but they're praying, and, I, and I've heard it directly from them, that, that Israel... Uh, finished the job this time. They were angry still that Hezbollah survived uh, the war in Lebanon. They were, and yet they sit and criticize Israel. And we've seen the Saudis, others do things that are very disturbing. Um, but you know they always play uh, along these lines. They they uh, they look to what will gain them stability and and the protection. Is Saudi Arabia was suffered from the attacks of the Houthis long before. Uh, the United States and, and Israel, but the they now they don't join the efforts to uh, at least openly, I should say, to right. uh, confront them. Well, you just explained. I was going to ask you about today's Jerusalem Post article about Saudi Arabia still still under these circumstances willing to make a peace agreement with Israel. Well, you just explained it. The, the most important part of their agenda is the elimination of uh, of Hamas and those types of groups which are so threatening to them. Uh, but I, they also know that they will benefit, and I've heard it directly from MBS and others, that they want Israeli technology, they want to do business, they consider you know, Israel, as I said, a source of stability, because even if you defeat Hamas, you have so many other terrorist entities, only by destroying the capacity of Iran to support them, only by cutting off the head of the snake, can you really stop, put a stop to this and make a serious change in the region for the benefit of all of the people. The people of Iran want us to do it, the people in the country want us to do it, many of the governments want it to be done, there has to be a concerted effort and if Iran emerges unscathed, if they, if we don't make the changes, we're only going to continue to pay this price. I don't know if you saw this week there was somewhere it was published. I can't pull it up now. I don't know why I can't find it, but there was a map. I think the New York Times published it of Israeli military presence in Gaza. Uh, um, at this point, it looks like there's an Israeli military presence throughout the entire Strip, 
And, you know, you, you mentioned that in some areas of Gaza, you know, life continues as normal, whatever that means. But it does seem, at least from what I saw, that the that the Israeli presence there, the military presence is, and I'm not just talking about the north, I'm not just talking about Khan Yunus, although people are so thrilled with the way they've acted, in, meaning the way the Israeli military has acted in Khan Yunus. I mean, is the, is the Gaza Strip, which, you know, we debate whether Israel should in fact take it over again or not, really in Israeli control right now? Not fully. Uh, areas are, and remember, people are moving, populations are moving back and forth. Um, Israel has done, and you look at the assessment military experts who have gone there just in the last week or two. First of all, they talk about how targeted Israel's uh, response has been, how they try to protect civilian populations where possible. Deaths of, of people in Gaza is because of Hamas and because a lot of them you know, were in the areas of the of the activity of, of Hamas. Uh, that was not Israel's objective, and Israel Israelis pay the price, as always, in every war, because they try to conduct the most humane effort possible yep. and see and see that the descriptions of the, the measures that have put in place now, and you know that it puts more soldiers at risk when you don't just bomb. Israel could have easily carpet-bombed much of, of Gaza in the first uh, days afterwards, but they did it in such a careful way, in such a d- deliberate way, targeting the facilities. And I think, honestly, they were probably surprised, certainly by the extent of the underground tunnels, certainly by how much, uh, as a soldiers I talked to, uh, that they told me they have to go apartment by apartment because there are rockets in people's homes, everyone, and many of them are booby-trapped. They also have explosives in the homes and they literally have to go room by room to check it out to clean it out to make sure that they can't uh, launch again you there yeah oh okay um what what do you think of this uh action by the president of the united states sanctions on israeli settlers i don't know who who they think they're satisfying by by doing it I do think that illegal activities by anybody should be dealt with by the uh, countries. Certainly Israel has demonstrated that it does. Um, I think, you know, this is an attempt to be able to show that, that you know, we act against everybody that uh, we want, that we're even-handed, or, or um, uh, maybe it's to satisfy elements within, uh, you know, the more extreme elements in the Democratic Party or in Congress or elsewhere to show that they've taken some sort of an action. Uh, so again, I think there should not be illegal activity by anybody. They should be held to account. But this, uh, these measures and and the you know the efforts of some in the media to equate them as if they are you know the terrorists also go and look at the circumstances in which they live. Go and understand the real dynamic on the ground. I think you'd get a very different picture. And, you know, we're living in such a, an awful era of inexplicable things. And, and I, when you were talking about the map, I thought you were going to, to raise the map that was found in the New York school yeah. showing, showing uh, the Middle East with Palestine and not Israel. And when I, uh, we spoke to the superintendent, he said, well, what do you mean? It's been there for 12 years. <laughs> That's an answer to been there for 12 years. And it turns out that Qatar has poured a million dollars into funding 
according to reports, the, the schools there, and that they set up these uh, Arab culture clubs in the public schools. And even worse, we find out that there is a thing called woke kindergarten. That's a real curriculum. It's a program. You can go online and look at it and see how they took the wheels on the bus to change to the wheels on the tanks being taught in the kindergartens in public schools and that teachers are justifying their instruction where they are, are teaching in the classrooms uh, anti-Israel agendas and we're poisoning the minds of young people, not in Gaza, not in uh, Lebanon, in New York City. Mm. And the, the we want to see where's the mayor, the head of the Board of Education. Now they've introduced a new program to fight anti-Semitism. I want to know whether the teachers who were involved, the principals who were involved, are they disciplined? Have What actions have been taken? You see that the kid, Jewish kids are leaving. I want to credit the uh, the organization that was created, the Public School Alliance of Parents, now about 1,500 teachers and others have come, and we're now learning from more and more teachers about how their lives have been made impossible in, in the schools, Jewish teachers. Uh, the, the, we, we don't have to look thousands of miles away to see it. A, a member of the London City Council you know, had a, is stepping down, a Jewish member, because he was so harassed and his family so harassed that he couldn't take it anymore. I mean, we're, we're living in an era of, of amazing challenges, and we need everybody to speak up. We have to be supporting these groups. The lawsuits on the campuses across the United States are so important, getting the donors to stop the funding, the, the, the cancerous activities on our campuses. Every time it's like discovering all these underground tunnels of what we find in the underground in, in, in the universities funded very generously by outside sources and inside sources uh, and with people being moved from campus to campus people being trained this it's just unbelievable and as much as you know i've talked about the university things and we started lawsuits a long time ago we never knew how how extensive and how the universities have become tools of not only the woke culture but of the anti-israel and anti-semitic activities yeah and and really everything has from the Chicago yes. City Council to, you know, to, to every town meeting, it seems, in this mm -hmm. country. I mean, every category in every industry seems to be divided among those who believe in truth and justice and those who, you know, have this terrible tilt uh, toward anti-Semitism. I hate to put it in such simple terms. That's the way it seems, though. And it's I hate, but you're right. Yeah. Two other things disturbed me this week. Um, we talk about hopefully coming out of this situation in Israel with a greater unified front, especially politically, right? I mean, politically, we know what was going on before the war, and we're praying that there'll be some type of uh, either figure or atmosphere of unity that's going to evolve from this. And hopefully the way the government operates will be very different from the way it's operated in the past. That's our hope. And then they have this gathering in Binyanei HaOmah, of thousands of people who feel it's important to go back to Gaza and you know retake it over, so to speak. And do you do you hear the rhetoric that goes on, the way the way the way people describe what that gathering was all about, the extreme language that they use? I mean, I don't think we're going to get the unity we're looking for if if this is you know if, if in fact whether you feel it was a legitimate gathering or not or a legitimate point of view, there is a way to describe and a way to offer uh, opposition to what's going on at that rally. And I don't think we've learned much from that in terms of uh, how we should, we should be speaking publicly about these things. 
That is so true uh, in general. I mean, we talk about the things that should current outcome, you know, what happens to the hostages, what happens to the prisoners, what happens to the security, what happens inside Israel, that the demonstrations and the divisions reemerge, that the people are pitted against one another. Uh, so far, there is no clear outcome, I think. But right now, the focus has to be on prosecuting the war. Israel has to remain united. I think largely it is. I think many barriers were broken during this time. I think October 7th is such a turning point that people look at Israel differently. Uh, you see the courage, the dedication of, of the soldiers, people losing limbs or eyesight, eyes go back to the battle, go back to the front. They insist on rejoining their units. It's beyond human understanding. And the, the spirit after all of these months remain so high. Every time I go there, and, and I'll be going again in a couple of days, it's just so, it's impossible to comprehend for most of us because to see the dedication to the state, to the to each other, I hope that that maybe will be translated. The problem is that, you know, there's the, the divisions are going to be very stark and the... Um, it's not going to be clear that, that there is a leader that will emerge that can somehow re reunite it, whether it's Netanyahu or somebody else. Most people, the polls certainly don't seem to indicate that. I, I agree that this, that still the uh, Israel and certainly of the people of Israel uh, is more important than ever. I still believe we will have see a big aliyah, a full or partial aliyah from Europe, from the United States, from elsewhere, people coming to understand Israel's importance to us in many, in very different ways than they did before. But the internal situation, that internal threat has always been the greatest danger to the Jewish people. And the other disappointment I want to bring up, and I know it's it's terrible to do this, you know, when we have zero time left, but the, the, the Secretary of State of the United States is talking about recognizing a Palestinian state. I mean, it's out for those of us who think a Palestinian state is outrageous under these circumstances. Okay, that that for sure. But it is unbelievable how the reward for terrorism and the reward for being anti-Israel and exhibiting it in the most barbaric ways that the reward is going to be having their own state and recognized by the U.S. The whole thing is outrageous. And you know, and once you start down this path. There's no limit. You're not. Uh, the president said something about it not being, uh, uh, not having a military, but that message is going to be lost. That once you start to stampede to, to a Palestinian state, because of the domestic pressures inside the already England uh, jumping as they usually do with the United States and uh, getting on the bandwagon of uh, of a Palestinian uh, state emerging, they don't even set the conditions. We don't even have the precursors that would make it possible to have a Palestinian state. They that they can't even operate the corruption and the the uh, what's happened in Gaza where they had the opportunity to create a Palestinian entity and and what what they did with it, the Palestinian Authority, Abbas popularity is is minimal. The to really control the situation we know is minimal. So people are, are jumping on this bandwagon as if it's just some sort of a meaningless declaration. It is not. And war terrorists, if you reward, they, they can become, they will be the heroes. They will be the ones who will ultimately emerge in power. So people should be very careful when they talk about and those who favor what they call a two-state solution and those who, who uh, 
favor other measures that have taken. You got to think about what the implication. When you see Tom Friedman again emerging as a spokesman on some of this stuff, mm-hmm. it should make pause because he hasn't been right on anything yet. Mm-hmm. It's not going to start now. Yeah, maybe maybe like two days after the war was the last time I agreed with him about anything. But that's uh, <laughs> you know how people you know how people are after the attack like that. All of a sudden, you, you mean the War of Independence? Two days after <laughs> well, war of independence. some might actually refer to this war as a war of independence. Uh, thank you, Malcolm. Have a wonderful Shabbos. We'll speak again next week. Have a great Shabbos. Malcolm Holmline, uh, Conference of Presidents of Major American Jewish Organizations. Friday's weekly update here at JM in the AM. Uh, Erev Shabbos Parshas Yisro, candle lighting in New York, 454. Make sure you know when things start where you are. It is Shabbos Mavarach and Moben Rosh Chodesh tomorrow. Rosh Chodesh Adar Aleph will be Friday and Shabbos next week. Rosh Chodesh Adar Aleph will be Friday and Shabbos Next week, this time each and every Friday, every era of Shabbos, with great pleasure, we present Rabbi Benjamin Uden, spiritual leader emeritus, Congregation Shomrei Torah in Fairlawn, New Jersey, to address the entire listening audience concerning the Torah portion of the week. Good morning, Rabbi Uden. Good morning, Nachum. Good have Shabbos, everybody. Tomorrow we have the privilege of reading Parshas Yisro. Parshas Yisro contains, according to the Sefer Achinuch, three positive mitzvot and 14 restrictions. Before I begin, I'd like to, quote, begin with the very first Rashi. And the very first Rashi of this parsha has to talk to all of us. Vayishma Yisro, Yisro heard. Now what did he hear? What do you mean, what did he hear? Just go on to the rest of the puzzle. He heard, Esko Hasherah saw Elukim Lemusha, what Hashem did through Moshe, and Uli Yisrael Amo, and to the Jewish people, Kiyotzi Hashem Es Yisrael Mimitzrayim, that Hashem took us out of Egypt, that's what he heard. What a funny Rashi. Mashmua Shoma Uvah. What precipitated Yisro to come, and according to our rabbis, to convert. And Rashi, instead of telling us what the Pasuk says, that he heard that Hashem took us out of Egypt, which would, I think, be rather sufficient. That's an incredible wow. No. What does Rashi say in the name of the Gemara Zvachim, Kuftezayin Amaralev? What did he hear? He heard Kriyas Yamsuf, Umochemis Amolek. He heard about the splitting of the sea, the incredible miracle, and the fact that Amalek came and attacked the Jewish people. What's the connection between the two? And the Shem Yishuel says beautifully, the connection is as follows. The whole world saw Kriyas Yamsuf. The whole world saw a most incredible miracle. And yet, Amalek comes and attacks the Jewish people immediately thereafter. How could that be? In the Shira, it says, Shamu Amim Yirgozun, Poloshes, which means in simple English, everybody was nervous, trembling, afraid, and Amalek was not. How could that be that after Kriyas Yamsuf, he comes and attacks, says Yisro to himself, if there could be such people that can do such things 
and it doesn't have an effect upon them, I can't live amongst them, lest, God forbid, I become like them. And therefore, he comes and he converts. My friends, this very first Rashi is, we all have to hear. Mashmua, what are we to hear? Kriyas Yamsuf, all the miracles that Hashem has done for the Jewish nation heretofore, and Melchemes Amolek. Not only don't they realize it, don't they appreciate it, but they can come and attack us. And just as the response of Yisro is Mashmua Shoma Uva, so too the Shmua that we hear every day, Lo'alenu, of Chayolim, that are Moser, their Nefesh, literally, on behalf of Klai Yisrael, we need to do one word, Uva. We need to come, as many as possible who can come. First of all, first and foremost, come and volunteer. There's such a need to volunteer, be it literally in the fields, to help the farmers who are literally, you know, at Gaza. And not only that, the opportunity for providing for the soldiers, for providing for the many activities that, and interestingly, we call them soldiers. These are not soldiers. These are men who have vocations. These are yeshiva, hezder, students. These are persons who have a very productive life. And now they are being called to take up arms and lo'aleno, fight against Amalek. There is such a need for picking up the gaps that are all over in so many families and therefore let this be a call over I believe the number is nothing less than 300,000 who have come and as a result of that as a result of that there is Idud, but we need more, more help from abroad, physically, what you can send, and most important, it has to have an effect upon each and every one of us. How has this helped change my life? That's the important question, which comes from the first Pasuk. Okay, I'd like to share a very interesting concept with you, and that is as follows. Let's go to the very beginning of chapter 19, which is the introduction to Kabbalah Satora. This is the parsha which has Hashem communicating with all of Israel. Every other religion claims that they had a prophet. Maybe they did, maybe they didn't. 
but there were not many people to say, yes, we heard, we saw, etc. Here, there are no less than two million souls who experience prophecy. That is nothing less than an incredible miracle. Okay, let's look together at the first Pasuk in chapter 19. Torah tells us in the third month when the Jewish people left Egypt, Bayom Hazeh, on this day, what day was it? Rashi says it was Rosh Chodesh. And it shouldn't have said Bayom Hazeh, Rashi continues. It should have said Bayom Hahu, on that day. So what does it mean, Bayom Hazeh? So Rashi tells you, Sheyu divrei Torah, Chadoshim Olecha. Torah should be literally new to you. Okay. Ke'ilu Hayom Nitinu. As if they were given to us today. In other words, the Torah is telling us that there is to be that sense of excitement which exists when you experience something new for the first time. So mitzvahs should be to you as if they're new. You're putting on tefillin tomorrow morning. If you haven't done it yet today, well, pause before you put it on. And it should not be well, I did it yesterday, I'll do it again. No, each day should be new and exciting. So asks the Shem Mishmuel a very interesting question. Why is it put here before receiving the Torah? It should have been put this idea of his chachas, of newness and excitement. It should have been put where after Kabbalah's Torah. Now that you've gotten the mitzvahs, how should you react to the mitzvahs with a sense of freshness, excitement, and enthusiasm? But no, take a look. It's put before. You want to know why, my friends? Because the excitement can't start with the performance of the mitzvah. The excitement has to start before with the hachonah, with the preparation. Now, a little bit of homework. Bring to the table tonight from Treyasar, the Navi Hoshea. Open up to chapter 6, verse 2. A very interesting verse. And what does the text say? Yekimenu miyomayim. What does that mean? That God sustains us for two days. Bayom Ashlishi on the third day, Yekimenu, he will keep, sustain us, Venichia, and we will live the Olam. Excuse me, the fun of. Now, what's going on? So Rashi learns that these two days are the two days that the Besamigdash was destroyed. God has sustained us and the third there will be and not a fourth only the third then we will be held high before Hashem 
But the Vilna Gaon has a different interpretation, which I want to share with you. Most exciting. Says the Vilna Gaon, we're going back to the Akedah, when Avram Avinu is told to go to bring and sacrifice Yitzchak. So we know by Yom HaShlishi on the third day, Avram is about to perform that which he was told, the Akedah. Now watch. We know that on Rosh Hashanah, we say, V'akedas Yitzchak Berachamim Toshur. What does that mean? Tiskor. Hashem, remember please, Akedas Yitzchak. Now wait a minute. We're asking for Hashem's mercy in the merit of Akedas Yitzchak. How does that work? After all, the Gemara in Kedushim 39b teaches that schar mitzvah b'hai alma leka. There is no reward for mitzvos in this world. What does that mean? If I want to purchase something from you, it's something which is an object. Ah, oh, this object has value within our society. However, a mitzvah is something which is spiritual and one cannot put a physical amount of anything for the performance of a mitzvah. So while, what's the answer? How do we get reward? Two things. Number one, the Rambam in chapter 9 of Hilchos Tshuva writes that the reward that Hashem promises in this world, if you're going to listen to the mitzvahs, then Hashem is going to reward you. These rewards are not the rewards for mitzvahs. These are the rewards to enable you to do more mitzvahs. But, says the Vilna Gaon, the we get reward today, miyomayim, from the two days. What does that mean, the two days? The two days that Avraham was going to the Akedah, the two days that Avraham never lost his faith, the two days that Avraham he himself saddled the donkey, the two days that he himself cuts the wood for the Akedah. In other words, the reward for mitzvahs in this world is for the hachona, is for the preparation that we put into the mitzvahs. In other words, mincha, mincha is at what time? I dive in mincha today in Israel, in Ramat Bichemesh at 1.30. And they start on the dot. Now you can come in at 1.30 on the dot. Ashrei, if you come in at 1.25 and sit down, and say to yourself, whoa, what am I about to do? I'm about to actually communicate with Hashem, that Hashem actually cares what I have to say. I recognize that I'm going to extrapolate and to literally get out of where I am in my environment, and I'm going to be able to communicate with Hashem. What a different mincha that is. What a difference a few minutes takes. And it's not only true regarding mincha, it's regarding all mitzvos. So really, the hachana for mitzvos is the enthusiasm that a person brings to the mitzvos. How significant and important this is 
and they are. So, the idea behind our parsha is that there is an element of Shmiras Shabbos. What does that mean, Shmiras? You're going to tell me it means to observe and keep Shabbos. And I'm going to tell you you're right. But I'm going to tell you more. Just as it says by Yaakov, after Yosef's dreams are told to us, he anticipated when it would become a reality. So too, we are to anticipate Shabbos when it comes. And that is so significant. Finally, think about it. The menorah in the Besamikdash could be lit by a non-Kohen. But the preparation for the lighting of the menorah, the Hatovas HaMenorah, the putting in the oil, the cleaning out the oil from yesterday, that had to be done by a Kohen. Interestingly, once again, the Hachona, the preparation, and I pray that the inspiration that all of us will derive from the present matzah that we're in, from this war against Amalek, it will inspire us to take our mitzvahs with a greater sense of Zerizus, a greater sense of Zahirus, a greater sense of Simcha. And that's the bracha that I give all of us that we should Shema Shmua, Shema Uva, that all of us should become uplifted from this situation. And our enthusiasm for mitzvot should please God be a schus for all the chayomim. Shabbat shalom to all. J.M. and the A.M. on a Friday morning Arab Shabbos. My thanks to Rabbi Yudin, as, uh, as it may have sounded obvious, he is in Israel. Always extra special to hear his words on an Erev Shabbos from the Holy Land. And uh, I thank him very, very much. Uh, Friday morning Erev Shabbos here at JM in the AM. Uh, uh, what did I say earlier? 4.54 is what we're calling candlelighting time. 4.54 on this uh, Erev Shabbos. Uh, 4.54 um, starting time here in New York. Make sure you know when things start where you are. It's Erev Shabbos Parshas Yisro. We will have a, a Shabbos Mavarchim this Shabbos. We are going to be benching Rosh Chodesh tomorrow. Rosh Chodesh Adar Aleph is uh, going to be this coming uh, Friday and Shabbos, a week from today. Friday and Shabbos of next week. Rosh Chodesh Adar Aleph, um, a reminder from all of us here at JM in the AM. Our good friend Rabbi Josh Sturm is with us live via telephone. He is the uh, Renewal Outreach Director. And this coming Sunday, there's a community-wide renewal awareness and swabbing event here in Teaneck, New Jersey at Congregation Renat Israel, beginning at 8.30 in the morning. And I will tell you, because I've heard so many stories from these random swabbing events, it's amazing how many people that are in need of a kidney have gotten 
a kidney. So don't minimize this. If you're around the Teaneck area Sunday, take advantage and get swabbed. It's a pretty simple procedure, to say the least. Rabbi Josh Sturm, what a pleasure to welcome you back to JM in the AM. Oh, thank you. It's such a pleasure to be here. So this Sunday, aside from always encouraging people in our community to be swabbed and hopefully become a match, this coming Sunday, I'm told that, that there are specific people in our community right now that are in need of a kidney match. Yes, there are two people in the Tina community that are in need, and we're uh, doing this event to, to hopefully find a match for them. And God willing, yeah, even beyond, we have unfortunately a lot of people on our list that are in need. So we are doing these events all the time. We actually uh, were in, in Dallas, Texas last Shabbos. What? Uh, where there are a bunch of, in, a few individuals, actually six people in the community that are in need of a kidney. Wow. And we did a uh, swabbing drive on Sunday morning. We came back with 63 swabs, which is phenomenal. Really wonderful community down there. And, in, if, uh, and, if, and if things go according to the usual math, you, you'll probably get how many matches from those 63? Any idea? Uh, hopefully enough for all six of these individuals. Is that possible? Um, I mean, that, that has yeah, happened? absolutely. Wow. Yeah, absolutely. Typically, it's probably around 10 to 20% of those that get tested that actually end up uh, donating. I mean, that, that's the point that I try to make every time you're on. Uh, you know, people think it's a, you know, a miraculous coincidence if, if someone's a match. The reality is the more people you test mathematically, the, the more matches you're going to find. And therefore, when someone shows up to Sunday's event, if it's not them, it'll be one of the, you know, eight people with them you know, that, that, that have been swabbed. One of them is going to be a match. And I just, you know, I try to encourage people to go and to do this because, again, a lot of people think like it's a shot in the dark. It's not a shot in the dark. The more people you swab. Yeah, exactly. And we, uh, we actually are doing now, for the last year or so, we've been doing what we call next-generation matching, um, which is a, uh, a new concept. There's uh, very few places across the country that are doing it. Um, but uh, we've partnered with a top immunologist from NYU. And the idea behind it is that the matching that we've done for the last 40 years in kidney donation has been good, but it could be a lot more refined and a lot better. And the theory is that these kidneys will hopefully last God willing, a lot longer and be even better matches. Potentially, the patient can take less uh, immunosuppressant medication uh, because of it. So we're, we're now looking for much better matches. But I'll tell you, very interesting, um, the immunologist that we work with, uh, Dr. Massimo, an Italian fellow, very nice guy. And uh, the way he put it, he said, we don't understand what we have over here. He said, the average uh, hospital is looking for a needle in a haystack. He said, you guys are looking for a needle in a stack of needles. He said, you have the Jewish community just so wonderful that so many people are willing to do this, um, that you have such a luxury of uh, a wealth of riches, so to speak, that people are, are just lining up to do this amazing thing. And he impressed upon us, as have many others throughout the transplant community, that we should appreciate what we have in the Jewish community because no other community is even remotely similar to this level of uh, becoming kidney donors. So in light of the circumstances in Israel, a lot of people are discovering that there's something unique about Jewish unity. This is something you've known for a long time because of your position. It is so amazing to see that the, the boundaries that we, the artificial boundaries we put up for ourselves within 
our own communities, whether I identify with the yeshivish or chassidish or modern Orthodox party, whatever it is, when it comes to this, all those boundaries come crumbling down. Um, and the, the fact that we are one family becomes so apparent when we see these matches that uh, in the street, they would look like they have nothing to do with each other, but they share a common bond. Either they're fellow kidney donors or it's a donor and a recipient, but they, it, Claw Yisrael is Claw Yisrael, and that is something that we definitely should appreciate. You've seen you've seen kidney recipients go on. Would this be accurate for decades with their new kidney? I mean, we're, we're talking about you know, thank God, long term positive effects from these donations, right? Yeah, yeah, definitely. I mean, on a, our level, we've only been around for seventeen years, so that's the extent of what we've seen, right. but. Um, but there definitely are many, many people out there walking around with uh, donated kidneys um, decades later. And I'll just tell you something interesting. We, uh, we did a dinner this week in Passaic, New Jersey, for the local kidney donors and their spouses. And, uh, and we had a recipient that was there together with his wife. And what they both shared, and his wife really had the unique perspective on this, um, and we hear this time and again, is that they didn't even realize how sick he was uh, before he got the transplant. It was only people, by nature, we adapt to our situation. Right. It was only after he got the transplant they realized, wow, what a difference did it make? He has energy. He's able to, to learn at the level he wants to learn. He's able to be the father he wants to be. Um, we, we don't appreciate, the recipients don't even appreciate it until afterwards just how sick they really were. The donor helped create a new person, basically. Yeah, literally it's a renewal. Literally, yeah, very good, I like that. Everybody, Josh Sturm is with us live via telephone renewals outreach director. He'll be there Sunday morning for the renewal awareness and swabbing event. I'm encouraging everybody from Bergen County and beyond to be at Congregation Renat Yisrael on uh, in Teaneck, starting at 8.30 in the morning until 11 o'clock. The swabbing is going to be at the area of the shul entrance. Not complicated at all. By the way, we should, uh, talking about the not complicated, we should reiterate that people who, you know, wonder what the swabbing is all about, they don't realize how easy it is. Could you just review the procedure for us? Sure. They come in and they fill out a form. We actually now have a digital form, which makes it a lot easier. Uh, fill out the form for a few minutes with some basic uh, questions, basic medical screening. And then they do the actual swabbing, which is just a Q-tip to the inside of their cheek. Takes uh, The swab itself takes less than a minute. What's the uh, age of the oldest donor that you're aware of through renewal? The oldest donor we've ever been involved with is a wonderful lady named Ruth. Uh, who was 77 at the time of her donation. And she happens to have a, a very important distinction, in my opinion, an even greater distinction, in that she is actually a child survivor of the Holocaust. Wow. Um, which is unbelievable that somebody who has been through all that um, and to donate a kidney, she is an amazing hero and an inspiration to all of us. She's actually coming up on her, I believe, seven year kidney anniversary. Uh, in just a few weeks, and Baruch Hashem, she's doing wonderfully well. Unbelievable. Rabbi Josh Sturm and I remind everybody, it starts 8.30 in the morning Sunday, Congregation Renat Yisrael, until 11 o'clock. The pre presentation is an educational program uh, where Rabbi Sturm will address the entire crowd. Donors and recipients will be there as well. 
uh, in the Renotch Social Hall. That'll begin about 9.45 on Sunday morning. There's 25 synagogues in the greater Teaneck area of Sturm that are sponsoring the event. You, you might be overwhelmed by the number of people who show up. I hope so. And Teaneck has uh, proven itself time and again. There are now 43 kidney donors from the Teaneck community, Teaneck and Bergenfield communities. Um, they are a wonderful community and a shining example of uh, what body cell is capable of. So as a community, they've saved 43 people. They've saved 43 lives, basically. Yep, amazing. Information about the event, any follow-up? What, uh, what do you want to tell us? Uh, just as a very cool stat that we just had this week, uh, we had our 22nd couple, meaning both husband and wife are kidney donors. 22 couples time. have done that? 22 couples have done it, and it is uh, it's amazing. Of the 22, um, of the 22, uh, did the majority of them have the wife donate first, or am I uh, am I making an assumption? That's a great that's a great question. <laughs> I'd have to go back and look at it. I don't know. You gotta, you gotta find out for me because we can make an amazing game out of that. I really wonder in these relationships if the woman uh, is donating before the man. But twenty-two couples—that's absolutely incredible. Uh, renewal website? Any place that people can get more information, or just show up Sunday morning? Yeah, renewal.org is uh, is our website. There's plenty of information on there, but definitely show up Sunday morning. Even if you're not a good candidate for kidney donation, we want to see you there anyway. It's, it's important to learn about it and to be able to spread the word beyond. Uh, and so we want as many people as possible to come out and, uh, and hopefully let's save these two lives and, and God willing, many, many more. And don't assume you're not a good candidate unless you're a doctor. Don't assume you're not a good candidate. There, no, there are people who think, oh, I'm this, and therefore I can't give, and they don't realize yeah, absolutely. It. There are many people who think that uh, they are disqualified, especially that age thing. Many people are shocked to find out right. that our oldest donor was 77. Right. Um, there are. It's not that difficult to qualify for kidney donation. Of course, the hospital as well as renewal are going to be very careful. We're not putting the wrong person right. uh, on the operating table. But many people, many more people qualify that uh, assume that they don't. Good luck on Sunday, and thanks again for joining us. Always a pleasure. Thank you so much. Always a pleasure. And have a wonderful Shabbos. You, you as well. Shabbat Shalom. Rabbi Josh Sturm reminds everybody, Renat Yisrael. Congregation Renat Yisrael this coming Sunday morning. Swabbing event, educational event, well worth it. Well worth it. Renewal is amazing. And I can't believe the numbers that uh, the numbers of number of lives that have been saved. Just incredible. Uh, our community has a lot to be proud of. JM and AM on a Friday hour of Shabbos. A reminder, the Young Israel of East Brunswick tomorrow night presents Jason Greenblatt in a, a fireside chat. An amazing way to discover the latest analysis regarding what's going on in the Middle East. Jason Greenblatt at the Young Israel of East Brunswick, 8 o'clock tomorrow night. Uh, our friends at the Young Israel of East Brunswick are also going to be welcoming tomorrow night a couple of heroes from October the 7th, uh, people who were actually uh, um, in, the, in the crowd uh, among the attendees of the Nova Music Festival who ended up becoming heroes and saving lives on October the 7th. They'll be there tomorrow night as well. So Young Israel of East Brunswick, our friends down there, will be welcoming them. Check it out and enjoy. Oh, sorry about that. <laughs> Check it out and enjoy. Ah, I knew we'd get the right song. Time to take a job as journeys at JM and the M.
sun is going down It's shining through the trees Another week's gone by Become a memory So throw away your hammer There's nothing left to do Say good job Cause all your work is done I'm gonna spend the day Together with The Holy One Say a special blessing On a cup That's filled with wine Man and his creator It's a very special sign your candles will be burning They'll fill your home with light Singing songs of Shabbos Well into the night So throw away your hammer There's nothing left to do Our brothers and sisters in Israel, we are with you. It's your favorite America's one and only Jewish moments in the morning radio program heard on listener-sponsored digital radio. Around the world, the web at NachumSigl.com and the NachumSigl Network, and of course, in the beloved NSN app.
wraps up an amazing Friday and another great week here at JM in the AM. Oh, to say the least. <laughs> Maybe by the time uh, Monday arrives, my cough will be gone. Hey, mazal tov to my wonderful nephew, Mayor Simcha Siegel, and the entire Siegel family on Staten Island. Looking forward to celebrate the big offer of this Shabbos. Mazal tov, Mayor Simcha, from all of us here at JM in the AM. Have a fabulous Shabbos, wonderful weekend, everybody. Until Monday, Nachum Siegel reminding you, remember the past, live the present, and trust the future.